everybody. Welcome to another episode of Bothwell Amplified. Pastor Joe here. Uh, we're in for a treat this week. We welcomed our deacon, the Reverend Kristen Joyner, who preached from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 4. And she really challenged us to ex- explore how we understand light and darkness, especially in today's society. Check out the sermon here. This morning, we continue our sermon series, Do Justice in Isaiah, and read from chapter 9, verses 1 through 4. But there will be no gloom for those who were in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he will make glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied exultation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as people exult with dividing plunder. For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, You have broken as on the day of Midian. Holy words for God's people. All right, good morning again. Uh, My name is Joe. I get to serve as lead pastor here. And uh, I want to say Happy New Year. Happy New Year. It is uh, today marks Lunar New Year, of which millions and maybe billions around the world are celebrating uh, this day as the start of the new year. And I want to name a a couple things about that real fast before we uh, continue on in service. Uh, One is uh, I'm wearing the red. Right, I'm wearing red uh, as a color of New Year, uh, of the Lunar New Year. Uh, this is a stole that was given to me from uh, the church, actually, uh, years ago on my ordination. And, I, and I'm wearing it as a reminder of what Lunar New Year uh, signifies. And it's, it's a time uh, that we honor and remember uh, family. We reconnect with uh, those we might not be close to or connected to physically and emotionally. Uh, it's a time of good food and celebration. Uh, Some celebrations go uh, as three days, five days. I I heard one that goes a 17-day festival. That's a party that I want to be at. Um, And we get to celebrate together, right, the joy of family. And I I get a sense, and I'm I'm thinking about all who get to gather together online and here on site as we come together as family. It's, It's almost like a family reunion we do every week. Right? We sometimes meet during the week and we have meetings and, and, and service opportunities. But for the most part, every Sunday, we get to come and be together as family. And there's joy in that. There's love in that. Whether you've been here your whole life or whether you've been here, this is your first time, uh, we're so glad you're here. Welcome home. Now, in order for us to do that, we have to live into all that means, right? We need to live into how we get to be family together. And this brings up the second thing, because uh, I don't know if you read the news this morning before you got here, but last night in Monterey Park, uh, California, uh, at a uh, Lunar New Year Festival celebration, I think it was in a yoga studio uh, that was hosting um, in uh, uh, Monterey Park, which is a predominantly Asian-American community, a a gunman went, went in and shot and killed 10 folks while uh, injuring at least 10 more. Last number I saw was 10 more who went to the hospital. So, so during a time of celebration, 
and a time to remember family and love and food and starting the new year off together, we can't hold that without recognizing the hate and violence and pain that exists in our world. And so that's also why we do what we do. We come together on Sunday mornings to declare to the world that while there is hate and violence out there, we will choose a different way. We will live a different way. We will carry the love that we experience through God and through community out into the world with hopes and dreams that that day will come where there will be no more violence and hate. Amen. This is what we get to do. And so we declare today that for exactly who God created you to be, you are welcome and that you belong. We also want to name, as we just did, that there are places in our world where there does exist violence and hate, oppression, marginalization, where folks are kept out. And if that has been your experience in church and in places of faith, we're sorry. And know that you are welcome and know that you belong. Uh, especially for us, that means if you're gay or lesbian, transgender, bisexual, or questioning, know that you are welcome, know that you belong. If you're black or brown or indigenous, if you've been discriminated against because of the color of your skin or your ethnicity or your culture, know that you are welcome, know that you belong. If you find yourself homeless or houseless or in the lower economic brackets of our community, if you're single or divorced or partnered or separated, know that you are welcome, know that you belong with all of your unique gifts and abilities created to be bearers of Christ's image to all the world, know that you are welcome, know that you belong. Amen? Amen. We're going to hear from Pastor Kristen as she's prepared to preach for us this morning. So let's pray and uh, center ourselves as we prepare to hear from her. Holy One, we give you thanks for the ways in which you are at work in our world and in our lives. Open our hearts and our minds to all that you have in store this morning. Speak to and through Pastor Kristen that all our hearts would be transformed for your glory as we move towards justice in the world. It is in Christ's holy name that we pray. Amen. All right, so we're in week three of our Do Justice series, working through some texts from Isaiah. In the past two weeks, Pastor Joe has taught us about the construction of the book of Isaiah, a composite work with three parts. The writings in the first part, which we heard from Jen today, were when the Israelites and the prophet were in Jerusalem. The oracles and the prophecies have themes of obedience, punishment, and restoration. Joe preached from the second part of Isaiah when the Israelites were being punished in exile. We examined how it would be for us to learn how to posture ourselves with humility from our places of privilege so that we can receive the spirit and then bring justice forth to the world, not just for us, but for all. And last week, we were invited to consider who we claim to be as we honor the legacy of people like Martin Luther King Jr. who lived for a dream of justice for all, that we not stop in the claiming, but that we continue and move forward. The writings of Isaiah of Jerusalem in 1st Isaiah are oracles about judgment of God's people and then about God's salvation of God's people. The ideas were rooted in this belief that God is the great king of heaven and earth and God chose a dwelling place in Jerusalem and would ultimately save it. 
This place, Jerusalem, would be the place from which God's sovereignty would be revealed to all nations. Since God would live there, it needed to be purified before it could be saved. After the exile and the punishment of God's people, the people would all return to Jerusalem, and this is when justice and the abandonment of war would happen. The people would have learned their lesson and would turn back to obey the Torah. The prophets and authors of the books of Isaiah were in the Davidic tradition that defended God as all-powerful and ruler of all nations. The tradition supports the idea that God punishes and justifies the suffering and sacrifices of generations of people so that by the end of the story, God's power and sovereignty is revealed. A God who is all-powerful must also be all-controlling, and so everything that happens is because God made it so. This makes the suffering and times of oppression necessary so that people can learn God's power. The chapters that precede our scripture today express all the reasons why God must punish people and how that will happen. And they're pretty disturbing. These ancient writings we need to remember are the way that people grappled with the relevance and power of God and good and evil in their lives. This idea of necessary suffering is theologically problematic for us as we know God to be a loving God. In a contemporary context for Jewish people, this was especially problematic during the Shoah, the catastrophe of the Holocaust. I know today that there are churches that preach that people's suffering is from God and that even today people are learning that God causes the suffering and pain causes the darkest of times. In today's scripture, the part that people are most familiar with is this metaphor of light and dark. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shined. The people were experienced with war, with invasion, and with being oppressed. This was darkness, a common expression and imagery used for oppression. Their darkness, remember, was something that God not only allowed, but intended as punishment. They had to suffer through this punishment. Don't worry, the prophet announces, royal relief is coming. I want to talk about darkness for a minute. This imagery of equating darkness with bad or evil. We have to be careful when we use words. They become part of our vernacular in ways that are subversive. Taking my direction from Adele Halliday, an anti-racism and equity officer for the United Church of Canada and others, we are to consider discouraging the use of dark or black as synonyms for bad or evil and words like light or white as equivalent to goodness. I can't shy away from the language that is presented in our translations, but I can talk more deeply about it because we need to engage intentionally with passages through an anti-racist or racial justice lens. Friends, there are racial implications in calling light good and dark 
bad. You may never have thought about it that way, and in that case, you're probably light or white. So think about it. In our efforts to become anti-racist and increase our inclusive language, I have to acknowledge that concern. So using this language from today's text is a tough one. What is this image of darkness and light in our translations? What's interesting that, I, that occurred to me is when we talk about light and dark and this metaphor that was used in the scripture, we have to take electricity out of the equation. The light they had was from the sun or a candle, and dark was from night or a really good tent. So this darkness to light or light to dark, it's not from the flick of a switch. It's subtle. It's gradual. Nothing ever stays dark and nothing ever stays light. It's not a simple spectrum that begins and ends. It's a sphere. Dark allows us to see with other senses. Without sight, our sense of touch and smell are stronger. Dark allows us to see stars. It allowed travelers to find their way. Dark can be scary, but dark can be peace and rest and renewal. Dark can be sleep. Light allows us to see with our eyes, but it's also the sun. It can be oppressively hot. It can burn and sear. Light can be overbearing and too bright can be invasive and exposed. We can't have only dark and we can't have only light. Dark and light as descriptions or metaphors are neither full of all good or all bad. Life is not full of these dualisms. Life is full of a lot of gray, shade and shadows. From the hot sun, we need a little bit of dark for respite. We need shade. In the context of this scripture, the writer uses darkness as all bad and light as all good. The darkness is a metaphor for when people did not follow Torah, they were suffering in disobedience. They were separated from God. Light was common imagery for royal relief from oppression. They had a promise that royal relief would come to bring peace and it was all a part of God's plan. God will illuminate the way and will multiply exultation and increase joy. I don't struggle with the fact that people were trying to wrestle with oppression, suffering, punishment, and an all-powerful God. Trying to make sense out of evil. After thousands of years since this story, we're still trying to figure that out. Why does God allow bad to happen? Some would say that is justice. God punishes and God restores. But we also know we create the problems when we're separate from God. Without God's guidance, we've created systems that allow some to flourish and others to suffer. We create injustice. We punish ourselves. Through Jesus, I, I did learn that there are that there are requirements for obedience, for taking care of one another. I learned God accepted people who weren't perfect, not by punishing them, but by calling them in, calling them to action, 
So victims of oppression and of these systems, no, God is not punishing you. You are being punished by the lack of obedience to God, by the lack of obedience to the commandment of love the Lord your God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than this. The scripture does bring a message of hope that justice will come. Burdens will be released and yokes will fall. The light that comes may have come and gone over the generations. It may have referred to King Hezekiah, to Cyrus. The Jewish texts list others. We know that Jesus used this analogy of light. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. But let's consider that God is not the one that causes and creates the chaos and oppression. It is humanity without God who creates the violence, the hate, and the oppression of people. After all, in Genesis 1, God took chaos and created something and called it good. Why would the artist destroy their creation? When we wrestle today with the idea of justice, of restoring the world, we need to see our part in it and not wait for God to do it without our participation. Our participation is very much a part of the story. Punishment does happen from disobedience. We do it to ourselves, from ignoring the instructions. But God always calls us back in. God is always present alongside us. God's justice over and over again throughout Scripture calls us to love and care for, especially the widows and orphans, the ones that culture ignores and pushes aside. Christians often use this imagery about shining light on darkness, of being the light of Christ. I know I've used that imagery. I want to consider, though, how we live into that. Our experience of the sun's light is a sphere it begins with a gradual dawn, dimly at first, as the darkness dissipates. And then it gets brighter until there's no more darkness. And then we move into twilight, gradually getting lighter as the darkness disappears and it gets light again. It's a sphere. It goes around and around. And so we need to consider that imagery into how we bring justice for the poor, the widow, and the orphan. When we go from a light to a dark room, we have to adjust how we see. We have to use an alternate way of perceiving. We've, been, we've all experienced being asleep or at peace in a dark room when someone flicks the switch. It's abrupt. That's not, that's not comfortable. When I consider our call to be the light and to do justice, I like this imagery because too often we picture ourselves as the one walking into a room as a welcome bright light. And too often we haven't humbled ourselves to first learn and perceive and adjust. When we move towards justice, we do it with that dawn, dimly at first, that time of learning while we adjust our perceptions. Moving from light to dark and dark to light requires us to first see the gray, the shade, and the shadows, no matter which direction we're going. So if we're to be true to this scripture, 
And to the context, both historical and present day, we can see that we're participants in this story of both the creation of oppression and the movement out of it. With Jesus as our guide, our obedience to scripture, our realization that we must walk humbly, we learn. We lean in, we call each other in, we keep going through the dawn and the twilight so that when injustices are illuminated, it begins the movement towards justice. Darkness cannot exist when light shows up. And light doesn't exist when there's darkness. Justice cannot exist with the presence of injustice. It's not justice unless it's justice for all. The scripture today sings of hope, of a time when justice will reign, when there will be restoration. We have a part in that, not by ourselves, but with God as the people of God. May that be so. All right, so that was our third sermon from this series, Do Justice. I am grateful for the challenge that Pastor Kristen laid out for us, how we too can be part of God's unfolding justice in the world. We're going to close out this sermon series next week by welcoming the Reverend uh, Wim Malden. I uh, get to learn more about him next week, but uh, be looking forward to that. In the meantime, have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon.